actors to places. Thank you, places. It's time to exit stage death. Welcome back to Exit Stage Death. As always, I am one of your co-hosts, Emily Martinez. And I'm your co-host, Maddie Limerick. And these are the chilling true stories behind your favorite Broadway shows. And today, we are doing an extra little cute, little sweet BB uh, bonus episode for y'all. We have my wonderful online and, and now through camera and hopefully in person very soon friend uh friend of the pod mickey abraham mickey is an actor singer dancer educator and self-esteem coach for actors chef's kiss we love it we need it so much she helps creatives find their confidence and footing within the industry she has an adorable dog named jennifer lewis and she watched at least a scary movie a day doing during the height of the pandemic which i got to I got to give you, that is a lot. I give you a lot of credit. I don't think I could do that. My, my anxiety, true. You know, it's funny. I finally found my, my fiance. I found someone that likes scary movies as much as I do. And we truly, we are just scary movie fanatics. It's like all we do is just watch like Law and Order and scary movies. See, I'm all about the law, but like, what's your, what's your vibe of scary movie? Is it like gore? Is it thriller? Like what's your genre? We're not huge gore people, um, but very much like anything supernatural, like anything supernatural, creepy, scary. Um, We don't mind gore, but we're definitely not like on that saw train, like the, like that where we're not huge fans of. I just don't know whose mind thinks those movies up. It, that's what scares me most. I'm like, and you know, and you know, I I don't get as freaked out or grossed out about like the bloody gore stuff because in my head I can like separate that. I'm like, oh, look at that. That is fake blood. That is cornstarch and mm-hmm. food coloring and yada yada. It's the situations that get us into that, and I'm like, no, no. No, I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm out. I'm done. But, mm-hmm. but jump scares, creepy, scary, creep. Like I'm, I'm ready for it. <laughs> yes, we love a thrill seek. We yes. love it. Yes. Uh, well, Mickey, I, I heard from a little voice, which was yours through a voice memo, <laughs> that you've got some like. Speaking of paranormal, you've got some fun, spoopy stories, like Ooh. maybe in theaters or like tell. <laughs> Please tell us. Tell us yeah. what you got. Yeah. Um, so I I was born and raised in Paducah, Kentucky, um, which is, you know, that's my hometown. I lived there until I was 19. Um, and there's this, this community theater there that I just, like, spent all my time at um, called the Market House Theater. Shout out, Market House Theater um, in Paducah. But I, I, I was homeschooled my whole life, so every single bit of interaction, social interaction, was spent at that theater. Um, huge theater kid, seven years old, literally until I was 19. Like every, just multiple shows a year, like that was just my life, right? Um, so there was a flood in my hometown in like, I want to say like 1930 something. I'm sure someone that is like a better Paducan than I am knows the exact date, but it was in the thirties. Um, and so basically there was a, um, this, this theater was an outdoor market basically. And it was like covered at the top, but it was a market and people were sell 
you know, food and whatever inside of it. And people could like drive their horses through it and stuff. It just wasn't fully like a theater. It was just (laughs) kind of like where this was, it was like a covered outdoor market type thing. Um, And there was the jail is very close to um, where this market is. As you can, you can kind of like feel spooky vibes. I get the, well, I get the vibe of that town. Yeah, I kind of yeah. can see exactly I, where it is. Yeah, I love, a, I love a multi-purpose block. Like I love, they're like, we're like, we're gonna think, we're gonna use this space. Yes, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, so the jail and like the, the market were like very close. Um, and when I tell you that there was a flood, like this flood is like historical, like there's, we have like this huge flood wall that has like murals on it that like literally have people like in boats. Like that's how Whoa. it was a rough flood, right? Um, so there is a tunnel that goes from this market to the jail. It's all connected. <laughs> it's all connected underground. And so there was this story that around the time of the flood, somebody was trying to escape in the tunnel and the flood happened and they got caught under the, under the thing, under the, the tunnels. And then they got trapped and they died in the tunnel. Um, so I heard about this story because fast forward several, several years later, this market is now a theater, the market house theater. Um, and <laughs> We used to have all kinds of like spooky things happening in the theater. Now, I grew up very, very religious, very Christian. So you're, you're speaking to deconstruction, Christians and yeah. Catholics. We're right mm-hmm. with you. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So I definitely so my first thought, like whenever things would be happening, it wasn't always like, oh, it's a ghost. Like that was not (laughs) my first thought. Right. So I'm like in this theater, I remember maybe I was like 10 or 11 years old. And, um, one time during rehearsal, and it's so funny because I've actually experienced the same thing happening twice in two totally different theaters, but all of the lights went out like during tech rehearsal. Um, and we're like on stage, like, I don't even know what show we were doing, but we're on Absolutely stage. Absolutely not. No, 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 <laughs> no, we're no. on stage, literally just like probably doing like Mary Poppins or something. And all of the lights go out and everybody that is in the theater is in like the audience or on stage. Like it's just a rehearsal. There's no one backstage. We're all there. The lights go out and everyone is like, oh my gosh, what's going on? And then of course, somebody is like, oh, well, you know, this is probably the Market House Theater Ghost. And I was like, what is that? What is the Market House Theater Ghost? So I'm told this story. Um, and, and the thing is, is like, the story has so many facts in it that like it it has some weight to like really make you believe it, mm-hmm. whether you believe in supernatural mm-hmm. or not. Because yeah. you're like, yes, there was a flood. Yes, the jail was right there. Yes, there is a tunnel. Like all of this stuff. I'm like, okay, great. So basically they were like, it's the Market House Theater Ghost. And I heard all of these stories um, about how people's like costumes would be like taken off, like pulled off the hangers. Like people would come into the dressing room and like their, their costumes would be on the floor. And like our costume person was like, 
a stickler about hanging up costumes so much so that she would sometimes choose savage. She would like <laughs> grab, she would like take the costumes and put them on the front of the stage so that when you came to like check in and put your costumes on, if they weren't hanging, then you would have to come to the front and get them. And then right. you would know, like everyone would know that you didn't hang it up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so like everybody was kind of like scared into compliance of hanging up their costumes. So people would come in sometimes and like, their costumes would be like on the floor or whatever. Um, and then I experienced, there was a, there was a window. So like if you're sitting on the stage and you're looking out to the audience, there was this window that was like right above. Sometimes there's like, uh, like a clock or an exit sign or something, you know, if you're on stage and you look straight center, yeah, some marker that's like, this is the center of the stage. Um, there was a window up there. And it was kind of like, I guess, like the attic or an area where like sometimes if we had a follow spot, someone would be up there. But we didn't always have a follow spot because we were literally just like this tiny little little theater. Um, But sometimes if there was a follow spot, it would be up there. But nobody really ever went up there, ever. And you'd have to go up this tiny little winding staircase to get up there. It was just like not the vibe. Nobody was up there, especially for like a children's theater show. It's just not what's happening. So. I remember I was sitting on stage and I looked up at the cur- at the window and the window was like, oh, like the curtains were open. And I was like, that's weird. And I was like, who's, <laughs> who's up there? Like, is that like a thing that people will go up there? And when I told someone, they were like, oh, I don't know why anyone would be up there. What do you mean the curtains are open? And they checked at the end of rehearsal and the curtains were closed. And I was like, Okay, <laughs> I was like, I don't know what's going on here. It's so, murder or ghost, murder or ghost, that's murder the or ghost. That's <laughs> the thing, and so and and it's like also the way to get up there. It was like through the you could only go up there through like the lobby, and whenever we were having children's theater rehearsal, the lobby door was locked um, because there's no. Re- I mean, that's where like money and stuff is, so like they'd always lock it. So truly no one was out there like no one could have gone up there and also why would they have been up there in the first place at like 8 30 at night like yeah. it made no sense so that's like my like hometown community theater spooky thing um everybody would always just be like oh it's the market house theater ghost like and it was never some and so casual for so many people <laughs> um and i never i never had a moment where i was like oh like um like, is it scary? Like, is it a scary goat? Like, it never felt mm-hmm. like like a yeah. scary, like, mm-hmm. presence. It was just kind of like, oh, there's something going on here. Like, like there's something happening. Yeah. I don't know the details of this story. Obviously, this person was in jail. I don't know for what. I don't know what the vibe is. But it's also just like, it was just like this presence that was always in the theater. And yeah. it was never somewhere that, like, I never really wanted to hang out there like by myself. Like if I, mm-hmm. I wanted to be like the first one to get my bag <laughs> and leave. Yeah. Like, it was just not the vibe, but yeah, that's, um, that's my mark. It was like you guys, yeah, it's like you guys were sharing the space and you're like, mm-hmm. I know we're roommates and we don't talk to each other, but we have to live here together. Yeah, yeah like- exactly. Exactly. And there would, there would just be like moments just like throughout, throughout the years of me being there because I, I swear, like I spent so much of my life in that theater that I'm just like, 
there were just moments like when I started to get older that I would like go in before rehearsal or something and I was early and I would just be like, okay. Like I remember there would be, there was a time when I was like 18 and I walked in early to like do my hair or something for tech. And I, I walked in and I was like, all right, well, I know I'm not by myself. So I'm just like, like talking to the space. And I'm like, at this point, you know me, I know you, like, like what can you do? Um, but yeah, Truly. it was super, super spooky. And like, I'm just so interested in like, obviously like theater and the spooky ghosts and everything. Like, I love the idea of this podcast because <laughs> they're definitely there. Oh, yes. Well, you were, you were on tour with Once on this Island. Did yes. you ever feel anything in any of the other theaters? Because, like, you went, you went all over the place. It's funny that you mentioned Once on this Island because I did not experience anything. But, and I, it's so funny, I completely forgot about this until you just said that. And I was like, wait, this totally fits in. So, Tamira Gray, who played mm-hmm. our Papa Gay, she would just really... She was a great Papa Gay, and she would just really, really embody this, like, creepy demon Mm -hmm. person, right? Yeah. At the end of a run, and I don't remember what theater we were in, but I really don't think the theater was important because I truly feel like whatever the spirit was, was maybe being conjured by Tamira. Like, that's just kind of, like, a thing that we all kind of felt because she she would literally, like, go into this character and, like, halfway through the show, like, you couldn't really talk to her because she was like always Papa Gay. Like that was just the vibe, Um, which I went on for that role um, twice. And that, I get it. Like, like it's hard to bounce into like demon of death to, Oh, I'm just Mm -hmm. thinking backstage. Like it's rough. Um, Yeah. (laughs) She, she mentioned that one day she saw, (laughs) so creepy. She said that one day (sighs) she saw a, shape like she saw Papa Gay like that's what she said she was like oh I saw Papa Gay like go in the and she said it so casually like so casually and she said that to us and we were like what she was like yeah like went into because you know we have like the semi we had like a half of a semi truck like on stage Mm -hmm. um and she was like yeah um I I saw I saw Papa Gay Papa Gay was already here before I got here and we were like are you like, did you genuinely see something or is this a joke or like, what do you mean? And she was like, no, like there's definitely like a spirit like with me here. And I, and they, and the spirit went on stage. I saw Papa Gay today. And I was like, wow. <laughs> okay. That's, that's um, wild. Yeah. So it definitely, I mean, I have to say that something definitely goes into it playing something mm-hmm. scary because that's something that like, isn't super duper common in theater because there aren't that many like, scary creature demon yeah. roles in theater. But like you hear about like scary movies and like shit that goes down on set and all of that. Mm-hmm. And like I, when I think about it, I'm like, if I was fully engrossed in playing this creature that literally like when I looked in the mirror and I had like the cloak on and the, like the black mm-hmm. face paint and all the stuff, and like horns and I'm like when I looked in the mirror before the show started I would be like oh I look really cool but then in the at nighttime like nighttime when the lights were down and we were backstage I would like catch a glimpse of myself in the mirror and I'm like no I look terrifying like I I am scary and I can't even imagine like having that role all the time Mm -hmm. (laughs) and like that being a thing but 
it's interesting that you mentioned, I mean, because I also toured with Beautiful for two years. So I've yes. like done all of these theaters. Um, I, we doubled a couple of them. And I honestly should one day sit down and like count how many theaters I've been in because I feel like it's a lot. Um, but I don't know. I never really experienced like a whole lot of creepy things. But I will say that there's always like a, you can definitely feel a presence. Mm-hmm. Like when you're in these old theaters, like, there's a theater in Scranton, Pennsylvania, um, mm-hmm. and that theater is super, like, just feels, it just feels like a full house. Like, yep. it just, mm-hmm. it just, that's such a good way to say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it just feels like we are not alone. And, um, yeah, so, and then just, like, in that theater, that was that was a theater that when I said, like, you walk in and you're like, ooh, this feels a little weird. Mm-hmm. We had a bunch of like random things happen during the show that had just never happened before. Like Mm. people's shoes getting stuck in the track and like them having to leave the stage and their shoe be still stuck on the stage. We had people's jewelry fall off and fall into the track. So things would get stuck like random things that like when you tour with a show for two years and you do it eight times a week, these things happening in like a concentrated time mm-hmm. in this in one city feels mm-hmm. very weird because it's yeah. like we all know what we're doing and how come in the same city on the same day mm-hmm. this bracelet falls off the shoe gets stuck this curtain mm-hmm. like falls on someone like like what's happening so are we okay is everybody are we we good i i I work with a one of the directors from my grad school who old school old school director um always will sage any space that he is taking over during tech and like walk through all of the spaces that they will they will be in for the show and things just because he was like i don't need no bad spooky shit popping up in the middle of a show because y'all if you've been around long enough you'll see it happen but it's also just because uh, i brought it up a couple times on the show that it's just when you have as many lives that have been lived in a theatrical space, so many stories, so many people experiencing the same thing, that energy becomes ingrained. So whether it's actually a spirit or it's just like a collective energy and memory, but it's also you have like these giant roadhouses. Some of them are like 4,000 seats. Like when I was with the Rockettes and we were in atlanta at the fabulous fox theater it was a giant masonic temple for like a hundred years before it was a theater and it's one of the most beautiful spaces i've ever been in but it's one of those that like our office was down in the catacombs and it was just like i do not like this i don't like this one i don't like it because you can always tell where like the new where all the new catering in the backstage areas have all been added to because you get there's always like you can feel you walk through a doorway and you're like oh this was built in the 70s that was built in 1850 ah yes it's it is just this like lingering thing and it's also just that kind of thing of like even when you leave energy and matter can't be broken down it's like the energy stays and the energy can stay a long time if it keeps getting fed into because yeah. that's why s- some spaces will feel sentient just for that reason yeah. uh, 
it's also some other than not, I go, what happened in this building that makes it like that, that just makes oh, yeah. this. Yeah. And you know, and too, like, so I was thinking, um, my, I, this is not on my resume and you'll know for good reason in a minute, uh, but my very first professional job that I got paid to act on stage, um, I played a slave. Um, I played, I played a slave in a show about, um, Abraham Lincoln and it was called a Lincoln, a pioneer tale. Uh, and it was in Indiana. Uh, and sounds about white. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Yeah. And, And it's funny because like, I have a lot of like really fantastic memories there. Um, because you know, it was my first like summer stock thing. It was also very like in house with my college. So like the chair of my department actually wrote the show. Um, and he was like, oh, I'm going to get all of like my, this was kind of like a popularity contest too. Mm -hmm. He's like, I'm going to get all my favorite people from the theater department Mm. to come and do this. So like, there were no auditions. So I'm sure some people were very, now that I think about it, I'm like, yikes, that kind of sucked. A professional credit is a professional credit, according to Actors' Equity now. So it's fine. It's fine. (laughs) That's true. But he, I remember like when I went to do this show and I had like a really, a lot of really fond memories there, but we had like Confederate soldiers in the show. We had like, you know, like there was a scene where we were literally being like sold, um, like oh. and singing roll Jordan roll in this three part <gasps> harmony. Um, so that's the thing. It's like so cringy, but then I think yeah. about it, I think about it and I'm like, there was something about the, the nighttime, it was an outdoor theater in, in Indiana. So there's something about being in Indiana in the nighttime in this beautiful amphitheater. Like, it was gorgeous. And then, like, everybody was, our voices were great. We were doing this three-part harmony, all of this stuff. So there was a level of authenticity there that made it, like, yeah. okay, I do wish that there was a single Black person on the creative team, which there was not. Um, mm-hmm. But... There, there were parts of it that were like, ooh, I can like feel like this, like there's something mm-hmm. here, and it didn't. Now you would never catch me doing that ever again <laughs> at this point. But at that point, twenty year old me, I was doing this thing, and I do have to say that like, there was one scene at the very, very end of the show where um, one of my dear friends who was a Confederate soldier in the show, was standing on this balcony and singing uh, the, the Dixie song. The, mm-hmm, I wish mm-hmm, I were in the land of mm-hmm, that song. Mm-hmm. So he's standing up there. His, his voice is chef's kiss, like incredible. It was a summer evening outside Indiana, up there with the spotlight. And I literally have chills thinking about it because it was a, it was a weirdly like haunting like moment mm-hmm. and I think because the talent was so high and the production value was so high it made it a little mm-hmm. bit more acceptable <laughs> than if it was like you know like people just putting on a production that didn't have any thought put into it at all but yeah. I do remember that moment happening and I was sitting backstage and I was literally dressed like a slave with these other people that were like a slave in Indiana in the woods and I just remember feeling I was like I feel like I am being watched Mm. by people like I don't know like my ancestors or people that are maybe not fans of me or like this space because we were also like right near the cemetery like where like that's what I'm saying right near the cemetery like it was 
when I think about it, I'm like, I see what you were doing. Like when you made mm-hmm. the show, I see what you were doing. People loved it. And honestly, mm-hmm. if I were to see it now as an audience member, I would probably be like, wow, this is actually a great show. What's your creative team look like? Mm-hmm. Like that yeah. type of situation. Mm-hmm. But like the location, the theater, everything that was put into it, I was like, this is great. But at the end of the night, every time we had that moment, I was like getting ready to come on like through the woods or whatever. Like we all were, I was like, I feel weird. Like it was just like a weird feeling. And that's something that I think is to be said. I mean, similarly about like Papa Gay or like the roles that you play, like the roles Mm -hmm. you play being a little like Mm -hmm. haunted feeling. Mm -hmm. It's not just like, cause this was like an outdoor space. Like this was not like, this was an outdoor space that was literally the set was built for us. It was like not mm-hmm. a house yeah. where a bunch mm-hmm. of stuff had happened, but it was just mm-hmm. something about like the role and the setting and the everything. It, it just, it was just spooky. It was, it, it was, was a conjuring of a, of like, I mean, that's, we do that so often in theater. Mm-hmm. We kind of con- conjure these. And I don't even think conjure. I think some people, especially like, you know, super religious people could see conjure as like a negative term. I think it's just like a term of really just like bringing things together, Mm -hmm. whether it's like whatever type of energy you put into it. But like when, when good art or at least good art of the time um, is being made, like it's always feels like a conjuring of sorts. And Mm -hmm. like, in a way, at least for me, I feel like I'm like, Oh, I did my job if I did that. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, it's like, what did I bring with me though? But like, Mm -hmm. I, I had to do, I did um, ca- the last show, <laughs> the last thing I've done in my life was cabaret. And I did it, we did it at Columbia. It was like for their grad program. And it was a really awesome production because like, it was just the most inclusive show I think I've ever done in terms of like the queer community. And like, I think back to it now and I'm like, oh, wow, that really helped me see myself in a way I didn't mm-hmm. and helped me come out in my own way. And like, um, but like I played coast and so, mm-hmm. um, you know, fun loving at the beginning of act mm-hmm. one, they're like, oh my gosh, this fun sex worker, she's just having a ball. Mm-hmm. And then like gets real, gets mm-hmm. real Nazi-esque at the end. Mm-hmm. And like when she, and oh my gosh, I can't remember the other character's name that she sings it with. Basically just this like super Third Reich song mm-hmm. that like, if you're just reading the lyrics, it's very like, you know, Trumpian and you know alt righty now where you're like wow these are just like pretty words but when you put them mm-hmm. together and what the meaning mm-hmm. of them are it's like oh the undertones are so insidious mm-hmm. and it's yeah. so scary and like having to like I was like okay this is my job I got to do it mm-hmm. um and it was like I felt like I conjured shit in a way I was like because I felt this weird energy like build up mm-hmm. in myself where I was just like how were you capable of feeling that on that stage? That's mm-hmm. scary when you're yeah. like, oh, I can create these feelings. I can trick my mind into really creating these feelings in myself mm-hmm. for a second. And then like, you know, we had so many people in the Jewish community in our show. So it was like after that, we all had to like be like, hi, I'm mm-hmm. Emily. I'm not that person that just sang mm-hmm. that. Like, mm-hmm. so we all had to like decompress and just hold each other at the at the end of the act, like backstage and just be like, are we okay? Are number one, are y'all okay for what you had to hear? I'm, I'll be fine. (laughs) Like I'll just decompress and like listen to some music and Uh dance around in the dressing room when nobody else is there and like listen to a podcast. But like, 
it is scary. And it's like, how can you not bring mm-hmm. in either like people that are like, hey, I got your back or like, ah, you're telling my story. Like it's, yeah. how do you not? How do I'm you not? not? Yeah, I think, I think that that's interesting. That's an interesting take because like I – I definitely, like, after that moment in Indiana, I was like, I will no longer be playing a slave. Mm -hmm. Like, that is just something that I, like, really just decided Mm -hmm. right then and there. I was like, this is not happening. And I um, I was just like, this is not something that's coming with me. And (laughs) problematically so, uh, after deciding that, I can't tell you how many things I have how many auditions I've turned down, Mm -hmm. how many jobs I like when I was working summer stock that I was like, Oh no, no, I will not, I will not be Mm -hmm. doing that. Um, even in the last production of hair that I did for some reason in the trip, they had us coming in literally as slaves and I Mm -hmm. had to straight up, I was like, I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. I'm not doing this. And Mm -hmm. in some way they convinced me to do part of something. Like it wasn't fully what Mm -hmm. they did, like the whole thing they wanted Mm -hmm. to do. Mm. They convinced me to do it and I shouldn't have done it. And I was just like, this is not it. And it's like Mm -hmm. when I went to see Paradise Square, RIP, when I went to go see that, my fiance and I were sitting next to each other. And (laughs) the moment, I mean, the show is beautiful and everyone is Mm -hmm. so talented in it. Some very close friends of mine are in it. But the moment they came on and they were slaves, my my fiance and I looked at each other. Uh, My fiance, who is a black man, we looked at each other and we were like, oh, Oh, we will not be submitting for this show. No, we were like, no, because at first we were like, this show's great. Like, and then we we're like, oh, they're talking about they're talking about slavery. Like, okay, that's fine. Like, it's a part of you know, it's a part of the story. Like, okay, but then when they actually were slaves, we were like, oh, it's a pass from us. Like, yeah. and, and I think that to some people, like that is important. Like, that's a story that they want to tell, and it feels like genuine for them to tell the story. It's just simply not for me, yeah. um, but I. But it. It's all like the the spirits that come with roles, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is like something that you just don't think about sometimes well, until it like hits you square in the face, and you're like, ah, <laughs> hello. Yeah. I I think it's also that in theater spaces and academic theater spaces as well, commercial theater spaces specifically they are still, the decisions are still being made by white people, even if they consider themselves white allies, the programming that's being chosen is still by and for white people. Um, And so a lot of the times they are thinking they are doing something smart and divisive and, and moving it forward. But in reality, it's like, oh, what you're actually doing is proving acting like you're having to prove to your audience who are mostly going to be privileged people of many races, because theater is mostly unaccessible to people right now. I will say that especially commercial theater has moved itself to be completely inaccessible. Um, and shame on anybody that says uh, commercial theater doesn't need to be accessible. Uh, you theater professionals out there. Um, but they are still having to, tell their audiences that you need to care more about people in history that experience things like uh, uh, people who were enslaved and people who were trafficked in things because they were people too. And they're somehow still feeling like they have to justify and show those stories to make them quantifiable people to right. make people feel like they didn't need to suffer. And we basically just need to get past that. Cause uh, that where I went to grad school, I was on our play selection committee a year and we thought we picked a great piece and ended up being my thesis piece, which is 
uh, if anybody knows it, it's called We Are Proud to Present, and then has a very, very long title by Jackie Sibley Jury, uh, which is like a very meta theater piece. But, you know, it it was about the uh, German occupation of Namibia, uh, which became uh, completely they genocided everyone uh uh long story i mean it was like 1890 to 1914 and only stopped because germany's uh place in world war ii but you know when some very heightened things happened in the piece and one of the theater professors was like why as a black man do i always have to come come to theater and it's only a poignant piece of theater when we're experiencing black trauma on stage and it was something that like even i you know as someone who considers myself as like a very woke voice using air quotes out there for whatever that means now, but also like an ally to other uh, marginalized communities. And I went, Oh shit, you were right. Like I did my job as a designer, but I also went, why was the entire creative team with me except director white and our director was incredible. And he was very, he got us to where we all needed to be together. And like he and I had an incredible relationship, but it was also, you know, it, it was just those moments. So it's like, why, should, and I know this conversation happened a lot around slave play as well, especially for black women, um, even though I thoroughly loved the piece, you know, hearing the arguments of I don't need to experience trauma towards women. Uh, it's a lot of times where like all gay plays have to take place during the AIDS crisis or during some form of time for us to feel quantifiable. Yeah, um, you know, why, tragedy. Yeah. And I think it's super important too, because you're saying, you know, like theater is not accessible, like mm-hmm. especially commercial theater is not accessible. It's like thinking about the audience too. Like, mm-hmm. like who is this for? Because I'm not going to mm-hmm. lie. Like I saw Slave Play. I was not a huge fan of it, but as mm-hmm. a, if you saw it, like as a, as yeah. a biracial, as a biracial woman, it is to mm-hmm. be expected that I would have lots of heavy feelings about it absolutely Um, yeah (laughs) and i know a lot of other people that saw it that really liked it i mean i feel like it's very kind of like divided like Mm -hmm. i i just it was something where i was like i feel like this is important sure i feel like these Mm -hmm. people that are on stage are very very talented great Mm -hmm. but also i'm sitting here watching it in a theater full of white people Mm -hmm. and i'm like and who is this for like this, mm-hmm. and so that's the thing. Like, it was great that there was a, a, a theater that had slave play on mm-hmm. it, like on Broadway. It was great that this was like something that was given the backing, but it's like at the end of the day, if you think about the, the audience and the people that you're doing mm-hmm. it for, mm-hmm. it's like even like Chicken and Biscuits, like Chicken and Biscuits was so great, mm-hmm. but some of the jokes that were happening, I'm looking around and I'm like, we haven't made this show accessible for people to come mm-hmm. see it that would appreciate mm-hmm. this. So exactly. I'm just sitting amongst a bunch of white people laughing at mm-hmm. all of this black humor and these black caricatures, which mm-hmm. are funny to the community. But mm-hmm. if you're outside of the community, I don't necessarily want to sit next to someone laughing at a caricature mm. of a black woman. Like, I yeah. don't... It's like, because <laughs> we as a white, like... I think I can speak for white people in saying like, <laughs> we, we don't get the humor. We don't get the nuances of the humor and the character. So when right. we laugh, it usually ends up us having to unpack it later and being like, well, why was I laughing at that caricature? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I'm not in, I'm not of the culture. Like I'm mm-hmm. like, <laughs> I see it through, through the white eye and it's like, Oh, Oh, the, 
my reason for laughing is a different reason for laughing. Let's unpack yeah, it. I'm like, I'm <laughs> like, oh, I'm laughing because that is like my aunt. Like mm -hmm. I'm laughing because like there is a person in the back of the church I grew up in that is just like that. <laughs> I've experienced this before. Like that is that, you know, it's like a different thing, but that's a really good it's, way. Yeah. It's, different. It, it's, it's also kind of tends to, it can in, uh, in, in a way encourage some of those not so, uh, good thoughts about how we look at each other's communities as stereotypes and archetypes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's one of those things like my parents loved going to the Tyler Perry musicals growing up because I'm evangelical, so we'd go see it live. And then so when the movies were coming out, and then when we would go to the theater and I was enjoying it, and that was the point where I started looking around and realizing that the entire theater is full of white people. Mm -hmm. And it's that idea that it's also like, when like white gay men go, oh, I'm just a black woman inside, but they're not going to stand up and protect women of color who are being like mercilessly hunted down, you know, black trans women, those things. And they're still making their spaces very non-inclusively white. It encourages some of those toxic traits, even though that's not the original intention. But we're at the point where I think we have to look at all aspects of what something is going to do. Yeah. Uh, and intention versus impact. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. But, well, and it's also one of those things like as a designer, when we're, when I'm putting a piece together, you know, I always look at my, my job first is as a dramaturg, not as like a fashion designer. And so it's the idea of how can I visually tell that story? And it's one of those things like when, when I directed hair was one of the things that I did right before I kind of went to grad school, I made a really concerted effort in the trip that I went, I love this show, but this chunk, like the AB baby section is it's hard to do it in any way, shape, or form and it not come off rough. You know, you know what's funny? You know what's funny? Actually, they did it. Okay, I'll tell you who did it and it didn't come off rough. And it was not our production. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was not our production. Um, so in our production, we completely changed it. Like we can, yeah. like, honestly, MTI, LOL, probably wasn't supposed to do it, but we did it and it's over and oh well. Um, but we completely redid the whole song mm -hmm. so we turned it into like a james brown moment Good. and Good. and like Good. Changed Good. Yeah. it was very very cute mm -hmm. but the old globe did hair where my fiance was hud yeah. and the way that they did ab baby they had all of the the black people that were in ab baby dressed in black panther costumes like black panther outfits and they came out and they did AB Baby exactly the way that it's written, mm -hmm. but they did it like minstrelsy caricature of right. this, like, oh, I'm finished mm -hmm. with you, Matt. Like, mm -hmm. like very, mm -hmm. very caricature to make people uncomfortable, but they yep. were dressed in like froze and berets and the black, like they were the Black Panthers that came out mm -hmm. to do this. And mm -hmm. I was like, that reclaimed this whole moment. Yeah. And, yeah. and it, Go ahead. No, no, no. You go ahead. I should not have stepped yeah, into no, your no, comment. Yeah, no, no, it's okay. I was just saying, like, that reclaimed that whole moment mm -hmm. of something that was, like, problematic and that was mm -hmm. written and mm -hmm. had so much, like, weight behind it. And it's, mm -hmm. like, their director and the whole team was, like, and it was, like, a collective effort to come up with this idea. And they were just, like, so what do you think? And they were, like, well, what if we did it this way? And the way that they did it, it just it took all the uncomfortable out of it because mm -hmm. they came on and they looked great. They were like, we are in charge of this. We all mm -hmm. know what the black Panthers mm -hmm. stood for. And they mm -hmm. come on and they're doing this and our, and their Claude was black as well. Mm -hmm. So it just made, it was just chef's kiss. It was great, but that's that, but, awesome. It, but it's hard to do that with that show. 
I don't necessarily think that show should be living on if I'm honest, mm-hmm. but, mm-hmm. but yeah. <laughs> I, there, I, there are new ways to tell that, that type of story too, yes, that like yeah. we can create. Well, shows and, like and that. it's how we use, because at the end of the day, you have to acknowledge that it's two white stoners from a privileged background who wrote a rock musical yeah. in the sixties. Like, right. but it's that thing of the moment you said black Panthers, it, it made so much sense because that is, the other aspects of the peace, love, and civil rights movements that were still happening at the time are completely left out of that show. Yeah. Like, there is virtually no queerness in the piece other than Wolf singing sodomy and then what your team decides to do yeah. with, like, the, the, the puppy pile moments before... Um, a walking in space before before the trip and then really kind of what you do with it because like I loved the Diane Paulus production because it was the first experience I had with it other than the movie and so for me it was kind of great but then also like when I started looking at it as a director I was like ooh there are all stories that are missing from this other than you know you they have it's one of those things that like it checks the boxes for a diversity mm-hmm. show because you've got a cast that should be at least half white, half non-white, whatever that means right. for you, if not more. Um, and, you know, most theaters, when they go, oh, we can have five black people in a piece, it's a diversity piece. Uh, <laughs> right. You know, it's it's how your team looks at it and why we're telling that story. It's like, now my next thing is if I ever do hair again, I want Sheila to be uh, a trans woman inspired by Christine Jorgensen, which yeah. makes the context of Easy to Be Hard so much different. And it's just yeah. those little things of like, I've also enjoyed like all of the non-binary HUDs that I've been seeing get yeah, cast Nora, recently. Yeah, Nora Shell. Nora Shell was our HUD. Um, were you were you in it at the Oslo? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was about to say I thought I recognized your face. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. awesome. I heard I, really... I, under, I understudied HUD in that in that production. That's so uh, yeah. amazing. I saw oh, I just heard a lot of things about that production and mm-hmm. saw the casting and kind of what was happening kind of in and out. <laughs> you I, heard I was, lots of things, huh? That's a whole different conversation. That is, that is, that is, you know. But I think it's because, again, people are using hair as this poignantly political piece now, and it's run its course as a poignantly political piece. It's like when we did it, we, um, I wanted to do it because the community college we our theater performed in hosted one of the first Vietnam War protests in colleges in New York State, and I thought that was a very interesting space to do it in but i also chose from the beginning i was like we're not going to do the nudity predominantly because the university had an issue with it but because it was a you know regional community thing that i was like i just think it's no longer as poignant and it doesn't tell the it does not serve the purpose that it did originally on broadway when there were still like nudity issues as part of the actors union and in the drama league which have come so far <laughs> uh but yeah it's it's one of those that you know we keep looking at those are like every time someone does rent and they were like we're doing the voice of a generation to to really get to the community and i was like well are you doing outreach about uh narcotic juice and drug addiction in your area are you doing uh, aids research and reaching out to your area are you serving community then why are you doing rent yeah, no one yeah. wants no one wants to see your community theater production of Brent, if you all are not actually serving your community. Yeah. That's the thing that theaters kind of forget is yeah. we are there to serve our communities first and foremost. And if you're not serving your community, you should not be. Yeah. 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 yeah, sure. Absolutely. 
That's so, so funny. You, you just packed in so many things. We did. We absolutely did. <laughs> as, I love as, it. As I'm about to uh, just ask you, what are your kind of, after we've been going through, you know, two years of the pandemic in theaters, just coming back and commercial theaters having a hard time kind of hanging on, but we're seeing the region and community theater kind of flourishing mm-hmm. in a way. What are just what are just a couple of words of wisdom that have kind of helped you continue going as an artist through this kind of hopefully a reemergence to a more ethical, sustainable version of theater that was not going to be sustainable before? Yeah, um, I mean, I think just like remembering like why you're doing it in the first place mm-hmm. is kind of my thing. Um, I, I finally got into a place where I no longer am looking for survival jobs. I'm looking for jobs mm-hmm. that are fulfilling to me whether mm-hmm. I work again mm-hmm. or I don't work again yep. um but definitely just like reminding myself like why are you doing this to begin mm-hmm. with and if mm-hmm. like the goal is all of this like oh because I you know it has to do with all of the way that other people will react to me or other people's opinions or whatever then it's like I would say definitely go deeper and try yeah. and figure out why you're in this career to begin with and also just understanding that like your resume and theater credits and whatever has nothing to do with you being an artist like at Mm -hmm. all um so yeah you can be an actor and not have been on stage for like a decade and you're still an actor and like you're you can still create um i always say we don't need anything but ourselves (laughs) we don't need a director we don't need a cast like they're great directors are great um but like we don't need a director we don't need producers we are Mm -hmm. artists ourselves so like Mm -hmm. literally go create something amazing i love that Everyone, please follow Mickey on social media because I just, whether, number one, it's not your job to lift us up every single time you post, but just because of who you are and how you present yourself and what you choose to share with us. And some days it's the days where you're like, these are really bad days. And some days you're like, these are fucking wins. Like, (laughs) yeah. And it's so beautiful to see like a whole human being in a, in a social media space because I think it's, it's just so good to like, be like, ah, I'm, I'm, I'm seriously not alone because I see you and like either like you're going through what I'm going through right now or last week or okay, if she can do it, it's possible for me. And so it's like, you truly like you, you bring such a beautiful warmth um, to the coldness that is the internet and so many times. So (laughs) I thank you for your, your work there and, Thank you so much for being here with us today. Yeah. This is such a great time. But we're definitely going to need to have you back to further these conversations yes, again. Absolutely. I definitely think this, sure. this is so sure. lovely. Thanks again. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Mickey, do you want to first uh, just tell us where people can find you so um, yeah. so that they can follow oh, yeah, yeah. you on all the things? Yes, um, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, my Instagram name is Mickey, M-I-K-I, Abraham underscore. So that is me. Everything is linked on there. If you want to chat about like working with me for self-esteem coaching or whatever, everything's on the Instagram and linked, Uh, but that's where you can find me. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Exit Stage Death is brought to you by Dreamer Productions. This episode was audio engineered and edited by Maddie Limerick. And our theme is Antisocial Dance Party by Brett Eagleston from the Let's Rewatch podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Stage Death Podcast. On Twitter at Stage Death Pod. And send us your favorite chilling theater stories at Stage Death Podcast at gmail.com. 
You can find us on Patreon.com at Dreamer Productions, where your donation of $2 a month keeps quality content coming your way on your favorite podcatcher app. Join us for more chilling true stories on the next episode of Exit Stage Death. <laughs>